Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. This morning I am beginning a sermon series called Family Matters. Through our baptisms, all of us have been adopted into the family of the triune God. And that means that we are now all family. Of course, all of us have experiences in our own family of origin, and therefore we know that not only are families always very complicated, they are also always highly flawed. And the church family is no different. But one of the things that makes this family special is that we have a very long history with lots of stories about our ancestors in the faith. Throughout this series, we're going to be looking at some of those ancestors in the book of Genesis. As we do, it is my hope that we will discover that not only uh, are, are, uh, do we struggle with the same issues and, and things that they, they did, but we also have the same family dysfunctions that they did. This, of course, is because the Bible is not just some strange story about odd people who lived long ago. This is our story. It is about you and me, and the God of grace, who just refuses to live without us. But until we learn to find ourselves in these family stories, we will never truly understand who we are and why we are here. Now, of all the stories in the Bible, there are surely few that have elicited more interest, inspired more art, and ignited more theological debates than the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember how the story goes. 
God created the Adam, literally the earthling, out of the dust of the earth. Then God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and the Adam became a living being. Then God placed the Adam, the human, in a garden that God had planted for him to tend. But then God said, it is not good that the human should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And so God took a rib or perhaps a chunk out of Adam's side and created Eve. Now to be clear, in calling Eve Adam's helper, God is not placing Eve in a subordinate role. And after all, the one who is most frequently referred to as helper in the Old Testament is God. Pretty good company to be in. And the fact that Eve was taken from Adam's side shows that she is his equal, standing alongside him in a complementary role. And remember, in Genesis 1, it is male and female together that make up the image of God. Neither is primary or superior to the other. And so God creates Adam and Eve as husband and wife and places them in the Garden of Eden. And the text tells us that they were naked, and yet they were not ashamed. And they were not afraid. But there was one little caveat to their life in paradise. For God had said to Adam, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Every tree but one? That doesn't sound so bad, does it? But do you remember where God planted that tree? safely hidden off in some distant corner of paradise where they would never notice it? Nope. Right in the middle of the garden. There was no missing this tree. So every day, Adam and Eve had to walk past this reminder that they were never supposed to have everything. That there was a limit to the blessings that their hunger would never fully be satisfied, that they would never be complete. After all, only God is complete. I mean, that's what it means to be God. We are but limited creatures, and creatures have limits. And it is only by learning to live within those limits that we will be able to experience the life that God intended for us. But this is not a punishment. Remember, this is all before the fall. No, this is God's idea of a good creation, of paradise. But of course, you, you all know something about that tree, don't you? After all, there is something missing in each of our lives, something we long for, something that we think if we just had that thing, well, then we would be happy and fulfilled. And this missing thing drives us nuts. No matter how many wonderful trees are in our garden, we tend to plant our tents beneath the one we do not have and stare up longingly at its fruit. 
We do this with our jobs, with our homes, with our cars, with our clothes, with our gadgets, with our wine collections, even with our churches. But it is especially destructive and devastating when we do it in our relationships. You know, one of the main reasons that many of us struggle in our marriages especially, but also with other relationships in our lives, is that we were convinced that this person was going to fill us up inside and take away the emptiness. But when they turn out to be limited, flawed human beings just like us, well, we start trying to fix them, attempting to recreate them into our preferred image, which usually ends up just causing a lot of hurt. But none of the people that God has put in our lives will ever be able to take away our emptiness and, and, and make us fully satisfied. They are but incomplete creatures given to us by God as companions to enjoy and to tend the garden together in which God has placed us. They couldn't possibly make us complete. I mean, only the Creator could do something like that. The question for us is, can we learn to worship God and give thanks for the people and the garden that God has given us, even though something is missing? It's the only way we'll ever be able to live within our created limits, joyfully, and not succumb to the lies that our culture tells us that there shouldn't be any boundaries and that we ought to have everything we desire. This is what makes the serpent's words so insidious. They cause us to take our eyes off of God and all that God has provided for us and instead to focus on what is missing in our lives and all the ways that we can fill it. They tempt us to believe that we're actually independent, autonomous beings who are quite capable of making the best choices for ourselves in life without God's input. In other words, they tempt us to doubt the goodness and the wisdom of our Creator who has surely deprived us by setting boundaries. But in reaching beyond our God-given limits, in an attempt to grasp what we are not meant to have, we end up losing what we did have. And it's usually only then that we realize it was, it was actually a pretty good garden after all. Except that now, it is paradise lost. The truth is we live in a world where our choices matter. And God in his great love for us has given us the freedom to make choices. This is how God gives dignity and honor to human beings like no other creatures on earth. And every time we are confronted with what is missing in our lives, we get to choose how we're going to respond. We can either choose to turn our longing towards God in worship, which, which reminds us of, of God's goodness and blessings and makes us grateful for the gardens that we've been given. And let's be honest for a minute. With all the, the suffering and the violence and the destruction that's been going on in our nation and in our world, are any of us really confused about how good our gardens really are? Or 
we can obsess over the missing piece. We get to choose. But be very sure, our choices always have consequences. And most of the time, when we choose to reach beyond our created limits, it is our families who suffer those consequences along with us. It all started when we listened to the serpent's words, which misrepresented what God actually said, making God seem stingy and unfair, and which denied the consequences of disobedience. You will not die. You will be like God. And who doesn't want to be like God? Independent and complete. It is our greatest desire and temptation. Of course, temptation always deceives us into believing that happiness and fulfillment lie on the other side of that more lucrative job, or that nicer car, or that more appealing lover, or that more faithful church, or, or whatever is tempting us to be complete. And the only real healthy way to deal with this temptation is to turn to God's Word and remember all of our blessings. Instead, Eve listened to the serpent's words and turned and looked at the tree and all that it had to offer. And so she took a bite. And then she gave some to her husband and he ate as well. But then their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Notice, this is the first time that Adam and Eve now see each other as a potential threat. And so they make a pathetic attempt at covering up their sin and their nakedness and their shame with fig leaves. But notice, their disobedience to God has now created a break in their own communion and intimacy. For in the end, all of our relationships' health will depend on the health of our relationship with God. But then God comes walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. And like guilty little children, they dive for cover behind a bush hoping not to be discovered. This is what always happens as a result of our disobedience and our breaking of trust. Our shame causes us to hide. And we hide in a variety of ways. Sometimes we hide by pulling away in silence or neglect or busyness. Other times we hide by pushing others away with our temper or meanness or criticism, but we all hide. It's part of our self-defense because we believe that we can either be known for who we are and what we've done or we can be loved, but never both. After all, we think, who would ever really love us if they actually knew all that we had done? And so we hide. But nobody can hide from God for very long. And so God calls out to Adam saying, where are you? And Adam says, I, I heard you coming and I hid because I was afraid, because I was naked. Notice this is the moment in our relationship with God that fear first entered the picture. 
But we were never supposed to be afraid of the one who wants to walk with us in the garden. So God says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And then Adam, proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that this truly is our story, decides that the best defense is a good offense. And so begins the blame game, something all of us are entirely too familiar with. And so Adam says to God, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Somehow Adam manages to blame both Eve and God for his disobedience. Even though he was the one who received the prohibition from God about the tree, Adam refuses to take any responsibility for her, his actions. He is the real victim here. And we spend so much time and energy trying to decide who to blame for all of our problems and our discontent. Republicans blame the Democrats, Democrats blame the Republicans. Employees blame their boss, bosses blame their employees. Children blame their parents, parents blame their children. Husbands blame their wives, wives blame their husbands. Christians blame non-Christians, non-Christians blame Christians. Even in the church, the liberals blame the conservatives and the conservatives blame the liberals. Catholics blame the Protestants, Protestants blame the Catholics. Non-denominationalists blame the mainliners. Mainliners blame those non-denominationalists. Churches blame their pastors. Pastors blame their churches. It's always somebody else's fault. We are the victim. But in refusing to ex accept responsibility for our choices and our actions, which frankly is modeled so dramatically these days for us in our culture, we lose our created dignity as human beings who've been given the freedom and the power to make choices with our lives. But whether we accept responsibility or not, remember, our choices will always have consequences. And as a result of their disobedience, Adam and Eve are sentenced to a life outside the goodness and the comfort and the security of the Garden of Eden. And yet even in their sentence, God is gracious to them, for they do not die, even though that's what all the evidence says they deserve. But when the facts on the ground declare death, the God of grace still insists on life for his children. And then God does for Adam and Eve what they could not do for themselves, for they were unable to cover up their sin and their shame with those fig leaves. So God sacrifices one of his own creatures and creates garments of animal skin in order to cover them and protect them so that they could have life outside the garden. This is basically our family story in a nutshell, repeated again and again and again across the centuries. For the descendants of Adam and Eve have continued to doubt the goodness and the wisdom of our Creator and live in disobedience to God's commands, rejecting our status as creatures and reaching beyond our created limits in an attempt to become complete. And when that hasn't worked, we've continued to blame God and anyone else but ourselves, which has prevented us from living in communion and harmony with one another as God intended. But then, one day, 
God came walking among his children once again, searching for us behind whatever bushes we've been hiding in our sin and shame. And he's still calling out to each one of us, inviting us to come out from our hiding place because all has been forgiven and to come walk with him so that we might experience the joy of a life of freedom in God's garden once again. As Craig Barnes writes, in Jesus Christ, God has come looking for you and me. He finds us busily sowing fig leaves of excuses and blame. Then he sacrifices his own life on the cross to cover our shame and to restore our dignity. Why? Because God loves us too much to abandon us to our bad choices. Look, we've all made bad choices in our lives. But until we learn to accept responsibility for those choices, they will continue to cause damage in our relationships, especially in our families. That's one of the reasons that confession is so important. And it's why we continue to do it every week in worship. For we are learning to tell the truth about ourselves so that we can also learn to hear the even greater truth. That even though all the evidence says that we deserve condemnation and even death, the Savior just keeps insisting on giving us life. It's called grace. And learning to receive it is the first step in finding your way back to paradise, where you will never be complete, but where you will always be fully known and fully loved. Amen.